0: And welcome back to another episode of the Seamless Connection podcast. I'm extremely excited today to have Faye Rottenberg with us, CEO of Firefly, a virtual first primary care platform. Um, Faye's been doing a number of amazing things in the industry, both from the investing side as well as from as a co-founder, as a CEO, as a uh, big proponent of tech, of healthcare, and of women in, in both spaces. So I'm excited to have her with me. I'm going to hand it off to Faye for a quick dive into her own background, and then we'll we'll hop into it.
1: Thanks, Mina. Very excited to have this conversation. Uh, and my background is really a range of operational and investing. I'm actually a software engineer by background, and then ended up joining the venture capital firm that had first invested in the company uh, where I was working. And after spending a couple of years on you know bottom of the totem pole at at a large uh, VC, I then left to join the company. And at this point, I still thought I was technical. And then I joined the company where I was the only non-PhD in distributed systems and was quickly told, you know, that's adorable, you're in business. And so I was over on the business development side and ended up leading that company through an acquisition by Oracle. And it was after that that I went um, and I started a company in digital health, uh, really thinking about access and so how to create more access for appointments, reduce wait times, fill canceled appointments with both virtual visits, as well as moving people up a wait list. And, you know, a a good problem, like great to be seen sooner, good for health systems to get people in sooner. But I I basically came to a realization over, you no, know, oh, I would say it was a, it was a, compounding realization that I was really solving for the wrong problem. And, you know, I was optimizing for access, which is great, but it was, first of all, really prioritizing visits when a lot of care can happen outside of a visit. Oftentimes more high quality care doesn't require a visit. I was also sending people to health systems that, you know, probably didn't need to go to that expensive health system. And it could have been uh seen somewhere else and so i really was not solving for value whatsoever um and so it was it was that realization that i i sort of stepped out i went back to venture in a in a venture partner role and it was in that capacity that i met the founders of firefly health uh and jeff and for me they felt it felt like the answer the their idea which was really at idea stage was the answer to what I'd gotten wrong, which was really optimizing for value and restructuring the way that care is delivered, to provide you know the best outcomes, lower costs, better experience, and moving away from the visit as the node of value um, or the ultimate mode of care delivery. And so you know, for me, it just seemed like incredible white space and the tip of the spear in terms of removing a lot of unnecessary costs improving outcomes in in the system. So that was that was my journey to Firefly.
0: Is it is it fair to say then that it's not necessarily even a virtual first platform or service but it's a value first platform or service is that a better way to think about it?
1: Yeah, I I like that. I haven't actually used that term but I do like that. You know, I think that Firefly is I would say it's it's really It's accountable care at the core. Whether you want to say value-based care, you want to say accountable care, we're really built to manage risk. And we started as a virtual first primary care provider. We then began to expand the scope of care we could provide through our network. And that includes both physical facility partners. So we could really provide more of a hybrid care offering um, without building out our own clinics, but really partnering with last mile partners, whether urgent care, retail care, in-home care, health systems know, growing number of virtual specialty partners. And then phase three for us was building a health plan around our care delivery model. So really creating that integrated care and coverage. But that value-based care is at the core of everything we do.
0: So did you ever have a situation where you were faced with getting care kind of in, in a non-optimized way, right? Like in terms of what's your healthcare story, right? I always oh, like to ask everyone that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have had, you know, I have had a lot of, I think, health, health issues, <laughs> for, <laughs> for, for lack of a better term, um, th- throughout my life. But, and and I think that it, it takes, so yes, I, I have my patient story. I've had, you know, chronic conditions. I've had, you know, more serious, complex conditions, and it's all given me a lot of personal direct experience with the healthcare system. And also having sold into it, I think that there's also just seeing the other side as a vendor. Just how, you know, just it, it's just astounding <laughs> to me, even you know, in the absence of your own personal patient experience, just how uh, you know lopsided so so many of these relationships are um, with vendors in terms of what people are solving for and how I would say unaligned they are with patients. Um, and so I think it, you know, it was sort of compounding, of course, there's the personal experience that, that I think most healthcare founders you find have some, you know, personal healthcare story and experience, but I think that compounded by an experience, you know, as, as someone selling into this industry.
0: Yep. And one thing I found that I've always been surprised by is you've got multiple players, right? You have the physicians you have the employers who are in many cases, you know, funding the coverage. Um, and then you have the hospital systems. And I find that very rarely are all are all or any of those aligned with what the patients actually want yeah. or need. Is that been a different experience for you? Is that something that you found as pretty common?
1: Oh, I think that's absolutely the case. Um, not, not aligned with what, you know, the patient wants. And I would say also not aligned with outcomes or experience. And, you know, hopefully they're one in the same. But if you look at even the way the health systems were built, um, they were they were built for it. All evolved. You know, a, they were built for the 20th century, when vast majority of death disease costs, you know, were artwork came from things that could be solved within a visit. Um, but then you look at the platforms that were built to support those visits. It's all anchored around the claim. Um, so I, I feel like a, much of our system, was just built around the fee for service ecosystem and the claim and mode of payment, versus actually built around what ultimately drives value and better outcomes. Today, you know, it's really changing behaviors. And our system was just not built for that.
0: No, completely not. And so at Firefly, you guys have started a virtual first platform where you can hopefully influence behaviors, influence outcomes in a very kind of real and measured way. Um, How are you finding the reception for that? Is that something that now with COVID and telemedicine and it's just, it's fine. It's business as usual. Or are you still facing just a cultural gap in terms of getting people to accept that as, as a way of of getting healthcare?
1: I think it's both. Um, So in some ways the pandemic pulled us forward at least a decade in terms of acceptance and recognition that really high quality care can be delivered virtually on the other hand there's still a lot of inertia and a lot of incumbents and a lot of people used to you know receiving care receiving plans in a certain way um, so I think it is both you know I, I I often think about there's a Monty Python sketch about a bureaucrat who's at the wrong window and he's going to get you know, he's coming back to, to try and get his car fixed, and then he goes back to the window and says, hello, Then you know, I'm trying to get my car fixed, and they ask for his information and his name, and they say, sorry, you need to go to the next window, and he walks over to the next window, and it's the same person saying, hello, what is your name? What would you like? And the individual in Monty Python, John Cleese, basically says, "They repeats his name, his information. They said, oh, no, not this window. It's actually the next window, and he kind of shuffles over two steps. It's the same person, asks the same information, says, nope, not this window, and you know, th- this, that is that is not unlike the experience that all employees experience in healthcare. Um, there's the primary care window, there's the specialist window, there's the insurance window, there's the member services window. And at each window, there's, you know, there's, you basically just have to start from scratch. And, you know, part of what Firefly aims to do is to really change that. You know, so first our care model is at the core and really does provide that longitudinal relationship um, across all of these aspects. So from primary care to behavioral health care, to specialty care navigation, to the health plan. It's, you know, one point of contact, one team, the same team that knows you. And it is through, I think, that knowledge and relationship that we're really building trust. Um, And members are engaging with us 45 times a year. And so, you know, I think that we're trying to break down those silos. And I think that that is definitely um, well-received today. I think we're at a point where there's a lot of point solution fatigue. And so the ability to actually have a single point of contact that can serve up, you know, a patient to the appropriate solution at the appropriate point in time versus leaving an individual, you know, to have to navigate the sea of solutions, which they end up not navigating and not utilizing. uh, I think that, you know, now there is a lot more receptivity to that. We're also at a point where employers for the first time are, are facing what I expect to be double-digit trend increases. Most benefits leaders have never experienced that throughout their career. And so people are willing to make choices that they were not a few years ago. And so willing to make choices that really do prioritize, you know, reducing costs or at least containing their benefits costs without eroding the employee benefits experience. And so that has certainly been a tailwind for Firefly. So on the one hand, you have more acceptance of virtual care. On the other hand, you have, you know, really escalating um, uh, uh, price um, and, and trend increases for employers. And those two things together um, have certainly been in our favor.
0: So there's a lot of businesses in the country that are fall into that small, you know, small, medium sized business category. So it makes a lot of sense. It's probably a lot easier for a large company to implement this. But if it's a smaller company, maybe even someone like Amplify, 30 yeah. employees, right, give or yeah. take. Um, is there a scale and a size at which virtual first care makes more or less sense uh, versus, you know, sticking with the traditional healthcare health yeah. care on, on the side? How, how should employers think about it from their view?
1: I mean, I certainly think that virtual first care makes sense at any scale. So I don't think that scale makes a difference. Um, a size a size of employer makes a difference for when virtual care makes sense. You know, if we're talking about our health plan, it becomes really hard for a small business just to price and the risk and the unknowns. And you, know, you have one high cost claimant and it can really just blow you out of the water if you don't have you know, all of the risk to spread across um, that, you know, a traditional uh, incumbent carrier does. So it's harder to price and it doesn't work for us at that scale as a health plan. But I think virtual care works for anyone and everyone. Um, And, you know, it's it's a benefit that you can offer all employees, whether they're remote or on-site, unlike a brick and mortar clinic.
0: As you're partnering with employers to bring care to the patients when and where they need it and get the outcomes you want, what are the outcomes you're most proud of? Like, what do you see? What do you measure yourself against? What do you want to improve more?
1: Yeah, great question. So, you know, our mission is half-priced healthcare that's twice as good clinically and emotionally. And so everything ultimately, and yes, that is a, you know, that is the vision, um, but everything does map to that. So it's really the clinical experiential and financial outcomes. So for us, Clinically, we're looking at our chronic condition outcomes. And, you know, right now, we just on uh, really just continue to crush those. We're, you know, 50 to 90% plus better than industry benchmarks across the most common condition, common conditions for um, common chronic conditions for commercial population. And so, you know, very proud of that. On the experience front, you know, our MPS is high 70s to high 80s, um, and it has been since inception. So, you know, members love us. And then on the financial front, really proud of our TME savings. So we're seeing, you know, an average of about 15 to 18% reduction in total medical expense. And I do believe that all of those outcomes are the result of our ability to engage members. So I talked about the fact that on average, members are engaging with us 45 times a year. Um, I really believe it is through that continuous engagement that we're able to produce those, those other clinical, experiential, and financial outcomes.
0: That's amazing. I actually had thought you'd said four to five times, but it's 45. Yeah. Wow. And so, and just thinking about kind of as the normal kind of maybe not super sick, but not necessarily peak of health person going through yeah. everything. Like you have your annual exam, maybe you have a couple of specialist appointments or follow-ups, or sick visits. How do you get to 45?
1: Yeah, so it's 45 and it's, it's spread across types of interactions. So we're talking about care plan interaction. So asynchronous, asynchronous modes of interaction as well. So it's care plan interaction, it's asynchronous chat, it is virtual visits um, or other visits. So it's all of those things. And a lot of it is everyone has a care plan. And you know, we're interacting with people. Um, we're working on a lot of behavioral health, anxiety, depression, and just continuously checking in. It's not only with your MD. Everyone has a care team. So it can be your MD, nurse practitioner, health guide, behavioral health specialist. And it's really, I'd say, personalized. You know, The cadence is different for everyone. If you have diabetes, you're going to be working with a different member of the care team and you'll have a different cadence of interaction. You know, if you're trying to lose weight, different story. Um, if you have, you know, something else, we're really tailoring that communication, but I think it is, it's keeping, holding people accountable on care plans, but it's also making sure that whatever care plans are set, they're setting it. So, you know, you are basically saying what matters to you, and then we're supporting those goals. It doesn't work when that's not the case, because you personally have to be motivated and really have to determine what are your health goals and how can we support
0: yeah, my dad always says you can take a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. So <laughs> it's know, that's better. That's better. <laughs> um, so, in terms of key engagement, is definitely sounds like it's one of, if not the main key driver for success yeah. across all metrics, right? That you're yep. looking at. Um, how do you drive engagement, right? So, uh, you know, patients on average will reach out to you when there's a problem. But to your point earlier, it's you want to catch them before that. You want to change behaviors before it becomes a problem. How do you get that level of engagement ahead of time?
1: So I believe that it starts with the onboarding, and so really setting the stage for all of the all of the ways that you can engage with us and the broad swath of care, support, and interaction that we can provide that really goes well beyond the bounds of what people think of when they think of primary care. So part of it is, I'd say, a re-education around... All of the things that you can come to us for, and then it's also the personalization. So upfront, really personalizing: what is your preferred mode of interaction? What do you care about? You know, what are the goals? And then tailoring things from that. So I'd say it's education, it's personalization, and then it's making it really easy for people. Um, so really making it easy for them to interact in a way that you know primes them. And then it's there. You see this? You know, it's like this serotonin reaction where there's this, when they see the immediacy of the response and, you know, the care and people actually you know, know them, you build a relationship, you know, members are following up on specific things. They're responding immediately. And then it's just, it's a cycle and it's just this virtual cycle because then the next time you know, someone's running and all of a sudden they sprain their ankle. Rather than going to an urgent care, they're just going to quickly talk to us. Or, you know, they're just really um, engaging in ways that you wouldn't expect otherwise.
0: And how do you think that, or how well do you think this translates across? Um, because, so, not just to Firefly Health, but thinking about the whole healthcare ecosystem. Is this yeah. something that can be done on a broader level to, get better outcomes across the system, to get controlled costs across the system? And if not, what do you think is holding it back today?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think absolutely the principles are and can be applied more broadly. And I think part of it is thinking about the team-based approach. So really thinking about how can a team support a, a, an individual versus having everything rest within MD. Um, really thinking about who is the appropriate person to support an individual's health. And so whether that is a behavioral health specialist, you know, a licensed clinical social worker, or whether it's a nurse practitioner or a health guide to help coach on chronic conditions or manage chronic conditions, I should say. Um, So I think that the team-based approach is absolutely something that can and should be applied more broadly, um, as is, I think, restructuring the way that care is delivered. Um, So rather than having everything oriented towards a visit, if a visit is not actually the most effective way to deliver quality care, you know, rethinking that the way that care is delivered, encouraging or enabling, um, I think, care plan interaction, more asynchronous chat interaction, um, you know, I think utilizing e-consults and other modes of specialists and specialty care more broadly are all things that, that everyone can do within the health system.
0: Well, that completely makes sense. And how about talking about earlier fee-for-service, right? As you talked about, our system yeah. is built on the fee-for-service world. And while people have been struggling to kind of make make that inroads into value-based care and into accountable care, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of roadblocks and there's a lot of systemic issues in the way. What yeah. do you see as the biggest roadblocks, um, at least today? And do you see those changing anytime, let's say, in the next five years?
1: Not everything's going to change in the next five years. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely not. Um, But I think things are changing slowly. And I mean, I, I do think that the biggest impediments, it is just, it's incentives and it's the way that systems are built. And, you know, once something is started and everything builds on top of it, it's very hard to unwind. Um, you know, whether we're talking about health systems and, you know, the way that their profitability is really built on top of the back of most fee-for-service, like the fee-for-service beast. (laughs) Um, If you're talking about, you know, all of the EHRs for the most part, except for some some new entrants, um, are really built on the back of fee-for-service models. So it means completely re-engineering that. And so, I think what's interesting is you're seeing like a lot of the activity originally that was on the fringes, you know, whether we're starting with ACOs or other models, they're beginning to, to become more central. Um, I do not think everything's going to change in five years. I also think that it's probably been naive, you know, of, of myself, of others, of, of many people to to say all of a sudden, you know, it is like, I do think we we are moving to value, but that doesn't mean that everyone is going to move. To value, you know the phrase, you know the future is here. It's just not evenly distributed. Um, it's that, and I don't think that anyone. Well, most people, even if they are value-based care, it's still not a hundred percent value-based care. And there's a lot of shades of value. And I think that we're just going to see more of that portfolio approach over the past, over the next five years. And I think increasingly people's portfolios will move, you know, further to the right towards really full risk models. But in between. You know, there's 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 just, you know, pay for performance and there's upside and downside and there's like stair steps to quality incentives and like moving up here. Um, and I think that that portfolio will increase. I certainly don't think that we're, we're, we're going to get there fully in five years.
0: <laughs> I wish we could get there in five years, but seeing how slow everything's moved. Even without the pandemic, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, I know that we're coming up on the end of our time here, but as as kind of a few last words of advice, I mean, you've done this a couple of times now uh, in terms of both running the companies and and starting companies. What are words of advice you have to, um, to women and young girls kind of following in your footsteps and, and going that way from an investment standpoint, from a startup standpoint, from a founder standpoint? Um, things that you would encourage them to look into now, maybe when they're still in school, and hey, build up this kind of background or or this knowledge base or this, you know, whatever that this is, um, all the way through to, hey, you know, take a leap on whatever you think, even if it's not directly connected. I know for me, a lot of it was connecting the dots in very nonlinear fashions. So Mm -hmm. I'm guessing you had a very similar experience. I
1: completely agree in the nonlinear um, connecting of dots. But I would say that that one piece of advice I'd have for anyone um, is, is to embrace what makes you different and just show up as yourself every time. I really think conformity is overrated. Um, and in the end, it's your core differentiation that, or core differentiators that add value to any interaction, relationship, transaction, really make you Indispensable and give you unique insights that you can apply um, to whatever it is, whether you're starting or working at a company or investing in companies. I would say leverage what makes you different and you know consider transforming your differences into unique assets and then amplifying them consistently and intentionally. Whether it's whatever personal experiences or background or you know a a different way that you approach problems, Um, I think that that's probably my my number one um, piece of advice. And then. I think you know, two others is don't make assumptions, um, don't assume you'll be treated differently. Um, building on the last one, so embrace what makes you different, but then don't assume that you'll be treated differently. Um, I think don't assume, I think that that's, that's one, the second one. And then third, learn from failure. Um, everyone says to embrace failure and I absolutely believe in embracing failure and it's usually the failures that define you far more than success ever will. But I would say to learn from both your own failure as well as failures of others. Um, there's a lot of benefit from looking at what hasn't worked and taking those lessons and then applying them and acting differently, whether it be from your own personal journey or from others. So I think when you know, speaking with people, don't just ask about the successes, but really hone in on failures um, and, and what have people learned? Because I've always found that much more valuable than, than talking about success.
0: Okay, well, spinning that off real quick, one last question. What was your biggest failure? And what was your biggest lesson from that? (laughs) Um, Or maybe not biggest, maybe most impactful, memorable, you know, adjective of choice. But you know, what, what is one that stands out to you today that you feel like really kind of changed how you think about things?
1: I mean, I think there's there's two. I think one. I don't know if it's a failure, but I think that I I, I think a lot about the people that I I work with and founder relationships, and I think that that I have learned a lot. Um, and and things that you know I would do differently, choose differently, and I think that that is that has been certainly an area of of learning for me. And then also, I think you know I talked about one of the reasons I came to Firefly was sort of recognizing that I thought that I was approaching. Approaching, you know, or, or providing the wrong approach um, in my previous company, and for me, it was a failing in actually addressing what really mattered. And I was really solving for convenience and access versus value, and that's sort of a meta thing. And I, I don't, you know, I don't know if it, I'd call it a failure, but certainly elements of of not not really taking into account the broader ecosystem and what really ultimately mattered.
0: Yeah. No, that makes sense. Faye, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today, especially after your board meeting. So, really appreciate the time and looking forward to catching up again later. Yeah, thanks, Mina.